Welcome to Widowcast Podcast, where you learn how to find the strength to get through your journey and the skills to coach other widows. This is not your average grief group. This is your journey group. It just may show you the way to make something amazing come out of the emotional pain and trauma of widowhood. I'm your host, Joanne Philomena. I'm the best-selling author of Widowed and Widow Coach, and I'm a professional certified life coach. Let the healing and your personal journey begin. Welcome back for episode number 136. You guys, I am waiting and watching for the number of downloads on this podcast to hit 100,000 downloads. Talked about it a couple episodes ago because I saw that there have been 95,000 downloads on this podcast. And I'm like so touched and so excited for us to hit 100,000. So I'm going to be watching it. I'll let you guys know when we do cross that line. Get out there and share this podcast with everybody you know. Well, with every widow you know. Or even if it's somebody who's like a family member of a widow. I've had some family members come listen to Widowcast because it's helped them better understand what's going on with their widow. I've received um, emails from daughters and sisters saying, you know, this really opened my eyes. So go share Widowcast. <laughs> let's get let's get 100,000 downloads. Today's podcast is about attitude. And I have to tell you, I caught myself out on attitude recently. This is the importance of understanding that we are always, always, always in control of our future life. Whether that future life is five years in the future or 30 minutes into the future, right? Even five minutes into the future. Your future is like one step in front of you all the time and you are totally in control of your future. You may not believe that right now, but if you come study with me, you will become a believer. <laughs> you will know. And then there is nothing more empowering than knowing that you are. So let me tell you a little attitude story. <laughs> this was just recently. I know you've all recently heard me talking about flying to Toronto for the, one of the most amazing events I have ever been to, right? They just over the top. It was fun. It was hilarious. It was serious. We laughed. We cried. I learned a whole bunch of stuff. It was extremely uplifting. But here's the thing. I didn't start out feeling uplifted for this event. <laughs> I drove up to uh, Dallas-Fort Worth Airport to fly out to Canada. And I had, you know, thought, well, I'm flying to Canada, so I made my reservations on Air Canada because I thought that's got to be the best airline to fly to Canada on, right? Air Canada. When I got to the airport, um, first of all, it was a long drive, and Dallas-Fort Worth is a huge airport. I had no idea. It's almost like you have to get on the freeway to get from one terminal to the next. It's so big. And once I got in there, 
and to my gate, you know, I had to go through um, security. And for some reason, things like lit up on my body. I don't know why. <laughs> my right knee that I've had so many surgeries on always lights up. So I always get that pat down. But then they swabbed my hands and it came up positive. So they took me off to another area for like full pat down. They went through every everything I had in my bags. And finally, as I was standing there going through this, I realized, oh my gosh, I stopped just before I got to the airport and I topped off my gas tank so I wouldn't have to worry about it flying home after the event. And the gas station was really kind of tacky. So I didn't even want to go in there to the bathroom to wash my hands after handling the gas nozzle. But guess what? I probably still had some kind of gasoline residue on my hands just from holding that nozzle. And that triggered when they swabbed my hands, like I had handled explosives or something because gasoline is flammable. So I thought, oh my gosh, you know, and I was not really put out at this point. I was actually very thrilled about two things. One was that I had plenty of time still to get to my gate. So I wasn't freaking out about the amount of time they kept me standing there and, you know, going through and they were swabbing all the inside of my carry on. And it was a lot. And I was very grateful watching them, how meticulous and thorough they were doing that because I was like, yeah, I want airport security to be just that meticulous and secure and, and detailed about checking out anything suspicious. But the grumpiness came after I got to my gate because the employees who were on that day for Air Canada were not gracious. I want to say they just downright were not nice. And maybe they were all having a bad day. Maybe they all just got bad news from their company. I don't know. I don't know what their story was because you can't know what's going on in someone else's life. But they were really kind of terse and nasty and short with everybody. And I heard an announcement, something about, you know, if you are in zone three to six, meaning you're not in first class, um, they need people to check their carry-on bags because it's a small plane and it's fully sold out and they felt that not all the carry-ons would be able to be stored. And I have trouble hearing announcements in airports because I do wear hearing aids and hearing aids are not like glasses. It's not like you put them on and have perfect hearing like you do when you put glasses on, you have great vision. Um, so announcements coming over loudspeakers, I like get maybe every other word they're saying. And I asked people around me and one person said, no, it's voluntary. And someone else said, no, they want everybody to check their bag. Otherwise, they're not going to let you on the plane. So I went to go get some clarity around this. You know, I walked up to the desk and I said, do we have to check our carry-ons or is this voluntary? Um, and she said, no, give it to me. You have to. And I said, no, wait a minute. Like I have my medication here in the bag and things in the bag that I would not want to lose that's why it's in a carry-on, right? And she said, well, do you have to take your medication during the flight? And I said, well, no, but if I lose this medication, it's going to put me medically at risk in Canada because it, I take a blood pressure medication and you cannot just stop blood pressure medication. If you just flat stop taking it, you can have a stroke, right? The, the rebound blood pressure is so high. And she was just like, well, take your medication out of the bag. 
And I was like, okay. So I started taking stuff out of my carry-on, trying to stuff as many things in my purse as I could that I didn't want to lose. And they checked my carry-on luggage. And then they delayed our flight. And then they delayed our flight some more. And they weren't nice about it. And by the time I got on that plane, and when they did call, by the way, zone three to six, I was in zone three, there were a bunch of people that still had their carry-ons. And I was like, wow, man, you wrestled my little carry-on. And I have a tiny carry-on. It's a European-style one. You had to wrestle my little carry-on away from me, and all these people still have their big old carry-ons? What is going on? I was so annoyed, you guys. Plus, then my flight was getting in much later in Toronto, which means it was going to be after dark while I'm trying to get an Uber to go to my hotel, all of that stuff, right? So I was tired. I was hungry. I was mad at Air Canada. I was swearing in line, like, this is the first and last time I'll ever fly this airline, Blah, 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 blah. You know how we are, <laughs> right? When we have had it, I had had it. I was done, was done. So um, I finally like, you know, I got on my flight. I made it to my hotel very late at night, trying to find food. Restaurants were closed, was not good. I And finally I was in my room. I just went to bed. Now, I want you to understand that there are like a thousand different entrepreneurs who had gone through this little tribe course and were so excited to be at Tribe Live and get to meet each other and spend three days learning from Stu McLaren. And they were so up. Everybody was posting on Facebook and on Instagram about Tribe Live and how excited they were. There were people traveling all the way from Australia, New Zealand to Toronto. They were traveling for like two, three days traveling to get there to do this thing. They were all so excited. The first morning I woke up in the hotel, my first thought was, why am I in a different country? Why did I leave my house? my nice new house. Why am I here? Talk about sourpuss, right? And I continue to feel just that grumpy about it. Like, you know, this is just going to be miserable the whole time. I'm here for five days total. Why am I doing this? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I was like sour grapes, crappy attitude, almost the whole day when I got to registration and we had to stand in lines and standing up is really challenging for me because of the knee surgeries I've had. And I was in pain. And then they sent us out on this crazy scavenger hunt in Toronto that was kind of hilarious and fun, but still I was exhausted. I was wiped. And when I went back in and finally found somewhere to sit down after I'd been out playing scavenger hunt in the city of Toronto, and I realized, oh my gosh, time to check your thoughts, coach. Time to manage your mind a little bit. And I shared some of this story with my certified widow coaches that are in my mastermind, a one-year mastermind with me. And they said, it is so good to hear you say that because, you know, all of us, we still get in these really bad attitudes. And it's good to know that it, we're not just lacking as coaches. Like, you know, they feel like once they're a certified widow coach that they should just be above all that, right? And to hear me after all the years that I've coached say, man, I had to really do an attitude check. 
They were like, oh, what a relief, because I still go there too. And I'm like, of course you do. Of course you do. That's our brain, you guys. Our brains go to the negative. Our brains have not evolved over the tens of thousands of years on this planet because we actually evolved pretty quickly in relationship to our brain. So our brain is always going to go to the negative. There will never be a time in your life that you do no longer have to worry about what your brain is telling you. You have to be aware of it. And I was so mad at Air Canada and so sour grapes about being there and hating on the airline and hating on Canada, hating on Toronto. I was just hating on everything. You know, <laughs> it was not good. And when I realized where my brain had gone, where my attitude had gone, I thought, oh my gosh, I am setting myself up for like a real miserable next few days in my life if I continue on in this vein, you know? So it was like, let's really do a self-check here. And I went and had dinner with another coach that had connected with me before we went. So I was thrilled to have Kim and we went and had got some dinner together. And I did a real check of my attitude. And when I was back in my hotel room that night, I really sat down and kind of gave myself a little talking to about, look at all the thoughts you're thinking. And you're at this incredible event and you are like sour grapes. This event could either be an event that changes your life or it's an event that just makes you miserable for three days. You get to choose, Joanne. You get to choose. And that's what it is. Our attitude is our choice because we are responsible for how we think, feel, and act and the results of that. It's all us. It all starts with our thinking, right? So what's the upshot of this story? The upshot is that I went into the day one of seminar the next day and it was amazing and I got amazing content out of it. And over the three days that we were doing that seminar, it like the momentum grew and grew and it was like mind blowing realizations for me. It was an amazing, amazing time. They did amazing things. One night, as we were all thinking, oh, we're, they're going to give us dinner break, and then we have to get ourselves back in our seats for the evening session. They said, we have a surprise for you tonight. And you know what? They opened up a wall. They gave us each a goodie bag that had everything we would need for the evening in it and told us to walk down to the dock and get on boats. <laughs> they took two boatloads of us out to a private resort club for the evening where there was wonderful food, there was open bar, there was games and music and just a really great time. And if I was still in that sour attitude mood, I would not have enjoyed that party at all. I had a blast. I had a blast. And the upshot was at the end of those days, when it was time to go home, I was so re-energized. My attitude was so good. And my vibe was so high that there was like nothing that was going to be able to bring me down. And the reverse was happening. It was like everybody that I touched in the next 24 hours, I lifted them up. 
It started the night before my last night at the hotel. I did something that I rarely ever do for myself because I think it's kind of pricey. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't do those things easily. But I was so tired because I really played all out those days. Um, I went back to my room to pack and I ordered room service. Yeah, I paid for room service so they would bring me some dinner so I could just quietly decompress in my room, have a little dinner. It turned out that burger that I ordered on room service was like one of the best burgers I had ever eaten. It was really good. It was really good. And it had some like truffle mushroom tarragon sauce that you could dip the fries in that was out of this world. And so on a whim, as I put the cover back on my plate on the tray to put the tray out my door for them to pick up, I grabbed a pad of post-its that was on the hotel desk there. And I wrote, this was delicious. And I underlined delicious and I put an exclamation point and I put that post-it on the top of the cover so that when that tray got back to the kitchen, somebody might pass that along to the chef to let them know. And I knew like this, this could make, make or break somebody's day, right? A little post-it, thank you, is going to make someone's day. And the next morning, again, on impulse, I was leaving some tip money on the dresser for the hotel maids. And I wrote on a post-it, thank you for making my jo my room such a joy for this day. And I put that post-it next to the money. And as I did it, it was like, I had a feeling that post-it was going to mean more to that room service person than the tip was. I was making someone's day. And then when I got to the airport, an amazing thing happened. Like I was totally lost. It's my first time ever being in an airport in Canada and their airports are not set up the same way our airports are, right? It's really different. And I'm wandering around in the Air Canada terminal thinking, I have no idea. I don't see a desk to check in at. I don't, you know. And I started doing something kind of out of character for me. I started just stopping people and asking people at random for help. Like, you know, I'm flying back to the U.S. I have no idea where to go check my bag. And they would point me in the direction of where I needed to go. And then I would ask someone else. At one point I asked a lady and she walked me with me to where I needed to be. Right? It was amazing. It was like everybody there was taking care of me. And I got in line for this, the final security part before, you know, if they clear before you can go to your gates. There were several stages because you're leaving one country and flying to another. And I was in this big, long line, but I thought, I have plenty of time. This isn't going to bring me down. And then somebody walked over and opened up the section of rope on our line, stopped everybody in front of us, and then motioned to those of us behind them to say, come on, we're opening up a new section over here. And so I walked over, and now I was the third person in line instead of being the 50th person in line. Right? It's like, oh, what nice serendipity. And then as I'm checking through security and the security guy said something about Texas and I said, yeah, I just recently moved there. And he said, oh, well, have you checked out the Dr. Pepper Museum? Have you gone to the Ranger Museum? These are amazing places. And I was, I was saying, no, no, really, listen, I just, I just got my house like a month ago 
And I've been doing nothing but unpacking boxes in my house. I haven't gone anywhere yet. And he said, oh, listen, you want to check this out? He said, then drive down here into like the southeast corner of Texas. And there's this island there. And he even wrote it down on a piece of paper to give me like, go visit this, go visit that. I was beginning to feel bad for people waiting in line because he was taking so much time with me as a fellow Texan to give me all these tips on where to go and what to check out. And as he handed me the paper with some tips on it, I high-fived him. Yeah, we high-fived. And I said, you're awesome. Thank you. And his whole face lit up. He just lit up. And I did too. I was just euphoric going to my gate. And I posted for everybody else that had gone to Tribe on Facebook. And I said, hey, is there anybody else that high-fived the security guy and told him you're awesome? <laughs> because it was such a silly thing to do. But I thought it was perfect. I made his day and I made my own day. My attitude was so completely different. And I knew as I walked through the airport and found a bottle of water to buy, found my gate, got to the bathroom, and I thought to myself, this flight is just going to be pure joy. This was just pure joy getting home and then driving all the way back down from Fort Worth to Dallas, uh, to Waco, where I am. And sure enough, the flight, before I knew it, they were calling us to board. I was like, really? The time already went by? And I had like this wonderful, delightful flight. Everybody was just smiling and happy and helping me. And you know why they were? Because I was smiling and happy and joyous and my attitude was so different coming home and it made it feel to me like everybody else's attitude was different. But you can't change the attitude of others. You change your own attitude, right? I took 100% responsibility for how I was going to feel about being in Toronto for five days for a seminar. I took 100% responsibility for how I wanted to react to that, how I wanted to act, how I was going to feel about it. And because I knew that I could take responsibility for my own feelings, my own thoughts, I had an incredible time. So, you don't have to keep the hand you've been dealt, right? You can throw that hand back in and deal a new one for yourself. If you think life is unchangeable because of the past, you're wrong. Because even though you can't change what's happened in your past, you can totally change the way you look at it. And changing that perspective begins to change the trajectory of your future. It's like, you know, when you're in a boat and they adjust the rudder just the teeniest bit, it doesn't seem to make much difference at first, but then the boat ends up in a totally different direction than where it was going. That's what you're doing. When you can change how you think about what has just happened to you, a little bit, it changes the whole trajectory of your future to something more wonderful.
So having 100% responsibility for your life is the most fantastic, abundant, thrilling thing that you can ever know. Deep in your heart, you'll know that at any moment, you can change anything if you want to. Once you get this, then you know. You know you can reinvent you at any point. You can decide if you're all sour grapes and unhappy that you can change it. There are fundamental steps to doing this, right? One of them is to get to really know yourself by being willing to tell yourself the truth of you. And that's not easy. You have to learn how to be completely honest with yourself and not lie to yourself about what you're thinking, what you're doing. Just get really upfront and honest. Like, was it easy for me to sit down at my hotel and realize, oh my gosh, you're being such a spoiled little bee here and you need to shift your attitude. Otherwise you're just going to be miserable the whole time you stay here. I really had a moment to call myself on my own BS. And that's what we have to do sometimes. We have to look at the whatever the BS is that we're telling ourselves about it and go, hold on, what am I really thinking about this? What am I choosing to focus on here? Right? So what the first fundamental step is to really know yourself by being willing to tell yourself your own truth. The second is discovering what it is you do want. And you discover that by allowing yourself to dream a little, allowing yourself to think that you could change it. You know, once I recognized in Canada that I was being a real sourpuss and that's what was making me unhappy, then I decided what I wanted was to just get the best of everything out of that experience. I wanted to be excited and happy to be there. I wanted to come home having like major aha moments. And I did. So you have to discover what it is you want. And sometimes that's not easy. You have to really let yourself loose to dream a little about your life. And the third fundamental step is you need to believe that you can have it. You need to believe that you can have it. When you discover what it is you want, if you think, well, that would be nice, but that's not going to happen for me. Well, then you're still back there in your little sour grape self. But if you can discover what you do want and you can think, even think this, think, I think maybe I can start to believe that could actually happen. Like maybe you don't believe you can have it, but you tell yourself, I think I can start to believe that that's possible for me. That's your starting step. That's your starting step to beginning to shift your attitude into something that's a little more positive, something that's going to have a better payoff for you in your immediate future than your previous attitude. If you want to learn more, about shifting your attitude and helping teach other widows how to step into what they want, then you want to talk to me 
about the widow coach certification class that I teach, widow coaches class. That's where you come and study with me for 12 weeks. I teach you all the coaching tools and techniques. By the end of 12 weeks, you will absolutely know how to be a coach. You will be coaching other widows. You can build a business for yourself, coaching other widows. You can do something to help support yourself that is actually creating change in the world, that is transforming lives. I'm telling you, for me, this is everything. It's the most exciting thing I've ever done. So my next class is starting October 25th, very soon. You want to reach out to me if you are interested in doing this. So email me at Joanne, J-O-A-N-N, at JoanneTheLifeCoach.com. Drop me an email, say I'm really interested in doing your class to become a widow coach, and let me know what time zone you're in. That helps because I will respond back and say, let's jump on a call together. And that way I can figure out when would be a good time to do that. Because nine o'clock in the morning might be a great time, my time. But if you're in California, that's going to be 7 a.m. And it might be a little early for you. So reach out to me. We can jump on a call. I can answer all your questions about the class. You can decide if this is for you or not. And if it's for you, we'll get your deposit. We'll start getting you set up. I'll send you your little thank you, welcome package, and you can start getting excited about October 25th. Okay. I would love to see some of my podcast listeners in my class and get out there, do a little attitude shift for yourself and find a lot of joy in your day to day. I'll talk to you all next week. 